0: There's another way you can discern the blockages, by the way. You can you can talk to people. It's amazing what you can learn if you just listen. Here's how I discovered some blockages in our church. I made a list of all the opinion leaders in our church. At that time, we had about 60 out of the congregation of 600 adults. And so, I decided to have them over to my house in five groups of 12 each. If anybody was going to ever ask me, which they didn't, uh, they'd say, well, why these people? I would say... These were just representatives of the church. But because these were all the opinion leaders, nobody even asked it, because they were all represented. They didn't mind. And I I wrote them an invitation and told them, here are the five questions I want to ask you. And we called it an interaction dinner. And uh, the, the, the five questions were these. What are our strengths? What do we do well? It's always good to start with the positive. And as a consultant, that's always the place to start. Unless people tell you for 45 minutes to an hour how wonderful it is around here, they'll never let you look at the problems. If you fail to do that, you will have scars that you'll carry for the rest of your life. I know. Number two, what are your concerns? How do you think we could improve? Third question, what church needs do you think we should address in the next two to three years? Now, you notice I said next two to three years. I didn't say, what do you think we can do next year? If you say next year, you'll raise people's expectations beyond what you can do. But if you look out two or three years and God's really in it, it's very easy to to get many of those things accomplished. I've never yet written a one-year plan that I've fulfilled. I have yet to write a two- to three-year plan that isn't far surpassed. Fourth question is, what community needs do you think we should address in the next two to three years? And the fifth question is what, a, what uh, obstacles do you think we should address before we begin planning a strategy to start churches? Now, the reason I phrased that question as carefully as I did is I didn't want to say, do you think we should, because we'd always said we wanted to. And so I phrased the question in a, in a positive way that was reflective of where we were in our church life. Now, as I was looking at this list of 60 people, I was wondering, how should we group these people? And I, I, I looked at it and I said, I wonder what would happen if you put the 12 most negative people in the same group. Don't try that in your church. But uh, the really, really, really negative people we help to find other churches for. Now, when I first came, when I went through the other groups and we came to question number five, they all said, Bob, there's no problem at all. Let's move right ahead. When I came to question number five in that group where the where the negative ones were, one guy pulls out a piece of paper I'm out of his pocket and unfolds it. It was filled out on both sides already. All the reasons why we shouldn't be starting churches and all the concerns and problems with it. Well, with his list, plus the presence of the other people, it was like a feeding frenzy. You know, like you threw a little piece of fresh meat right into the water and the sharks just came. And they started feeding off of each other with different ideas. And they went on for 45 minutes. What was I doing during this time? Calmly writing down everything they said. Now, let me let me make sure I heard what you said. I wrote down all the positive stuff they said. I wrote down all their concerns. I wrote down the other stuff, and then I wrote down every one of these things. I wrote pages and pages and pages, and I never said a word other than... Now, did I understand you correctly? I just listened. I spent five weeks listening to all the opinion leaders. After each meeting, I would type up all the notes and then mail copies to the people and said, here's what I heard you say. At the end of this time, I took all those lists and compiled them. And I began to pray over the list. Say, God, what are you saying to us? And I saw certain themes that were coming through very clearly that God had already placed on the hearts of these people. And I also saw certain themes that came through that were issues that may need to be addressed. In particular, on that fifth question, I asked God, God, what do people not understand about you and your ways that would give rise to these kinds of fears? And that fifth group helped me so much. Because they helped me know what I needed to preach on for the next 18 to 24 months. Because these people had the courage to express what was actually on the hearts of uh, some of the others, but they were too supportive to tell me. And so I began to identify what the key issues were. Then I began to search the Bible to find out what are passages of Scripture that might deal with this character of God. What are biblical characters that might exemplify some of these issues that need to be worked through. What passages in the Gospels and the Epistles talk about these kinds of things. And then I began to look for what stories do we need to start telling. What information do we need to start sharing with people. See, that's the starting point of sharing the vision. Making the vision coming alive. Do you realize what really captures people's imaginations are stories? Think of your most powerful sermons you've either heard or preached. Wasn't there a story or two that was attached to it that made all the difference? Someone said, you teach incidentally through your outlines, but you teach irresistibly through your stories. Think about Jesus. He was the best communicator that ever walked the face of the earth, right? What did he do? He told stories. And stories can't let can't grab people's attention, and then it comes and they get into it, and then behind the tr- behind the lines, you can then have the truth come to light. Never forget that as a pastor or as an elder, you have the opportunity to cast vision through your sermons, week in and week out. And if after preaching years and years and years of sermons from the Scripture illustrated with by story after story after story after story that makes the vision and the values come alive. Only the hardest of people would not have the Holy Spirit start to break through in some way in their lives. Or you may not be a communicator and you may not need to be in that. Now that's the public thing you can do through the sermons. You have a powerful opportunity there. The other thing you can do is to very carefully plan the process of change. People take a long time to embrace change. I see so many pastors that, that try and do it this way. They go up on the mountain, like Moses was up there. They see God face to face. When God shares with them where they're supposed to go, they are all excited and they come down the mountain, their faces shining with the glory of God. And they announce to the people, here is where God wants us to go. And the people say, not. Why? Too often the pastor says, those people are just hard. They're stubborn. They're hard of hearing spiritually. I'm not so sure. Because these pastors did not give the people the same courtesy they'd given to themselves. For most of us, it takes weeks and months and sometimes even years before we come to the assurance and conviction that this is what God wants us to do. How would we expect our people on just one hearing... To embrace it and say, yes, this is what God wants. Does that make any sense? See, some of you have been here at this at this seminar, and you've been here for a while, and you're starting to experience some changes, and God's starting to do some neat things inside of you. But you're going to go back into situations where your people haven't changed at all. And to take the experience of this week and try and dump it on them in one meeting, when some of you have been wrestling for months on some of these issues, and some of you have been, have been even praying and, and wrestling at night, trying to figure out what God's trying to say in this retreat-type environment. Wisdom says take it slowly. But most pastors don't get changed because of a couple of things. Number one, they don't really believe in their heart that God is able and wants to do something. Number two... They are not necessarily, they are not willing to pay the price of staying long enough to see it happen. And number three, they do not carefully plan a strategy of communication over the long term. That sows the seeds for that kind of change to happen i 'm talking about planning out the sermons i 'm talking about the little letters that you write in your in your newsletter i 'm talking about the little comments and devotionals you have uh, before a board meeting i 'm talking about the informal conversations that you have with people on a, over a long term basis i 'm thinking about the little bits of information you can you can send out and say, "Hey, what do you think about this time where you go visit the person in their, in their place where they work and and to be able just to, to see what they're doing and, and then uh, talk to them about what their dreams are for the church. These are some of the issues as to why we don't see change happening. But don't forget who's the Lord of the church here. Jesus is. So find out. And then is, is it any wonder why you don't see any results? Because the change strategies that we have aren't carefully thought out, may not even be addressing the right issues and is not handled lovingly enough and carefully enough and systematically enough over a long enough time to make a difference. What insights were most helpful for you? For your situation, which insights were most helpful? And number two, what's one thing that you think God may be asking you to do as, a, as an action step to begin the process of implementing that idea?